Welcome to episode number 10 of Metascam. We are a podcast dissecting scams one fraudster at a time. And now, from the excellence in podcast studios, it's time for another episode of Metascam. We break down scammers' approaches, tricks, misdirections, and other tools they use and present you with our direct analysis. This is Peter. And this is Andy. Coming up here in episode number 10 of Metascam, we've got an interview with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Your number could have been found at a crime scene and six signs you're dealing with a scammer. The information presented in this show is based on personal opinion and should be taken as such. Consult your personal attorney before making any financial decision. And hey, if you want to get in touch with the crew here at Metascam, we've made that very easy to do. You can send us an email at hello at metascam.com or contact us on social media on the Twitter at Metascam Show. We are pleased to have join us on the show now, Mr. Alexander Warmka, who is an outreach coordinator with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Service. Based on understanding, an important part of that outreach is educating Floridians regarding common scams and how they can protect themselves. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hey, thank you for having me. So what are some things you can share with our listeners? Like, what are the most common scams you have seen over the past couple of years? Now, with uh, with my division under the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, one of, our big, well, one, one of our biggest focuses is to protect Florida consumers from deceptive and unfair business practices. Now, with that, we often encounter various different types of frauds and scams. Now, there's two of them I'd say that we encounter frequently, and especially now after the recent natural disaster of the hurricanes that we experience here in the state, we encounter a lot of service contractor scams and charity scams. Now, in terms of the contractor scams, here in Florida, we have an entity that we call the Florida Department of Business Professional Regulation. They're the ones that regulate contractors. But many, if, if not most, uh, states will have their own state agencies that regulate, in this case, construction. So things like general contractors, plumbers, roofers have to have a license in order to operate. And the reason for that is if they go out and do a job and they, you know, someone gets injured or the job is not completed, a consumer has a recourse, in this case, to uh, get their money back. And have you know they have more um, legal recourses, but we often encounter situations where a consumer may pay um, a few hundred, if not thousands, of dollars to a contractor. They may that might come by once or twice, doesn't finish the job. Suddenly they don't come back, and the consumer unfortunately finds out that this individual was never in fact licensed. And many times we call these um, fly-by-night contractors. They go from city to city scamming individuals. And unfortunately, many of the individuals lose a lot of money and have no recourse of getting that money back. Hey, Alex, I have a question. This is Peter. If someone approaches the consumer, especially after like one of these major hurricanes and they have uh, roof, roof damage, say, and they say, well, yeah, I can give you a really good deal on repairing your roof and I can take care of it now. Uh, just pay me some cash. 
and they give the consumer their full name and their their license number, saying that they are truly licensed with the state of Florida, and this is their license number. Is that enough, or is there? How would a consumer actually verify that? Uh, where would they go, and how quickly would it take to verify that? Well, what I would say is uh, something that we've encountered is you may see a truck that says "licensed and insured" on it, but that might just mean that the truck itself is, you know, is insured. But in this case, the individual is not. So I would, the first thing I would do is ask for a license number. But the thing with that is they may give you a number, but how do you know, you know, in fact, that that's the current number or that that license number belongs specifically to that individual or business? So in that case, I always recommend for the individual to take down the license number, look up the state agency or local entity that regulates that individual. You know, so let's say if it's a roofer, look up in your state to see who regulates roofing contractors, contact them, provide them with that license number. And you can see, A, if that license, in fact, actually exists. And B, you can also look if that contractor has ever received any complaints and if these complaints have been satisfied. Is there any recourse if someone does not verify prior to making payment and then later on they have an issue? Is there any recourse uh, that the consumer might have uh, in trying to recover money that they've paid to someone who's done a faulty job and who hasn't been licensed? Now, the recourses can vary from state to state. Uh, for Florida, there is a unlicensed construction fund, but that fund, depending from, depending from year to year, it depends how well-funded it is. So there are times that consumers are able to contact the state agency, file a complaint, and get some of that money back, but that's not always a guarantee. So that's why we really stress in this case to look, you know, get that license number, do your research because many times if you pay someone, especially, you know, in cash and they provide you with a fake uh, license number, a fake business name, it's really hard to track down those individuals. Now you mentioned that there were a few different scams that maybe were results in following a natural disaster. You mentioned contractor scams. What other types of scams have you seen? Now, in addition to contractor scams, I previously mentioned uh, we encounter charity scams. These uh, tend to spike a lot after a natural disaster, and we encounter individuals that will then be approached, uh, whether it's in person or by phone, by individuals soliciting donations for the families and um, well for the families and victims of certain tragedies. Now, the the thing with that is they will show you pictures of, let's say, damage to a house or uh, families that are homeless. They really want to reach deep to you know to deepen your feelings. And in that case, you'll donate money, but how do you know that that, in fact, is a legitimate charity? And even if it is possibly a, a legitimate charity, how do you know that most of that money is actually going to the intended cause? Because we'll encounter charities that will be using similar-sounding names of legitimate charities. So you think you're giving money to a certain cause, but it's actually a whole different charity. And we'll also encounter charities that, pretty much once they get that money, they're pocketing that money. This wasn't related to specifically a natural disaster, but uh, about a couple of years ago, we had two charities in one of our counties, uh, Volusia County, that were basically phoning individuals. They were saying that they were soliciting donations for veterans and their families, and they were actually themselves saying that the individuals making the phone calls were also veterans themselves. Now, we got a tip from a consumer that was concerned. They had never heard of that charity. They weren't really quite sure if they were legitimate or not. 
they wanted to know more about their operation. So we actually did an investigation, and we found that a significant portion of the money that was coming in through those donations was not going to the veterans and their families. It was, in fact, going to fund home mortgages, car loans. And once we found that out, we quickly shut down the operation. We worked with local law enforcement, and we actually arrested the individuals responsible for those organizations. But that just kind of highlights more the need to do your research uh, before you donate to a charity, especially if it's a charity that you never really heard about or a charity that you've never really given donations to in the past. I think you also highlight a really important point that we always encourage our listeners is to report report different scams or what they believe to be scams that may pop up, even if they haven't fallen for them, but reporting those and bringing them up to the attention uh, where other people, whether, whether members of the public can see, whoa, that is a potential scam, and they can learn from that. Just like the tip uh, that callers call into your department can be very beneficial and catching on to new scams as people can be quite creative and coming up with new things all of the time. So the consumers actually reporting these things can be crucial. Exactly. Because in this case, if the consumer reports it to us or, you know, or a state entity that can help us with our investigations and enforcement and also the consumers sharing that information with their friends or peers can help spread awareness of what's out there and what you should watch out for. So what are, are some of the other scams that are out there outside of the charity and service contractor ones that we tend to see after a uh, natural disaster pops up? What are some of the other common scams that you guys see there in your offices? Another one of the big ones that we often hear about are the IRS scams. Um, there's many variations, but the main one involves an individual receiving a phone call from someone claiming to be from the IRS. They say that they have either not received your tax filing documents or they did receive them but they were not filled out correctly now because of that there is a fine that you have to pay and if you don't pay that within 24 to 48 hours they're going to issue a warrant for your arrest now the thing with that scam is many individuals can be pretty sure that they submitted the correct information but when they hear irs and arrest you know they, they freak out and because they have only 24 to 48 hours to pay that money they're more likely to act on impulse, pay that money, and then suddenly later on realize that they've been, in fact, scammed by somebody else. Um, a big red flag with that scam is that they generally will ask you to go to a place like CVS or Walgreens, purchase a prepaid debit card, call them back at a certain number, and provide them with that prepaid debit card number. And that's essentially how you're going to pay for that, uh, that fine or fee in this case. Um, this is a scam that we hear about constantly, and I like to, to let the consumers know that if the IRS contacts you, they're never, their first point of contact is not going to be by phone. It's not going to be by email. It's going to be by regular mail, and they're not going to threaten you over the phone saying that if you don't pay within 24 to 48 hours, you're going to issue a warrant for your arrest. So if you ever do get a call like that, um, it's a scam I would hang up, and if you ever have any concerns or you're not sure about it, I would look up the IRS's main phone number online, call that number, and then verify with them if they, in fact, um, just contacted you. Now, I'm guessing that is a scam that tends to crop up right around when people actually pay their taxes, or is that something that you see year-round with you guys? It happens the most right during tax filing season. 
But the scary thing about this scam is you can get a call in September or October. They can say that they actually did an audit on a recent tax filing and now notice some discrepancies. And because of that, you have to pay a certain fine. So in essence, it's worse during tax filing season, but it's a scam that operates year-round. I had heard that there is a big problem with uh, credit card skimming here, not only in Florida, but around the whole country. Is that an issue that's of concern? Yes, that's a, that's a really big problem. With our department, we actually inspect the gas pumps in the state of Florida. We look at the fuel quality and accuracy. And during one of the uh, routine inspections, we our inspectors noticed that some of these pumps had skimmer devices on them. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with a, a skimmer, I classify it generally as a two main skimmers. is the external skimmer and the internal. Now, with the external skimmer, it's basically an electronic device that they slip over the card reader. So that, let's say you're at the pump and you pay with a credit card, once you swipe your credit card, the transaction will go through, but this device will also record your credit card information. So someone can then come back later, remove the device, go home, and download your credit card information onto their computer. Now, these um, identity thieves, they actually have evolved this where they can actually open up the gas pump now, install a skimmer inside, close it up, and with that one, they don't have to come back to retrieve it. It basically sends a wireless signal, so they can just drive by the pump. It sends the signal directly to their computer, and they can just drive away with their credit card information. Um, these devices are really small, and they can hold hundreds of credit card numbers. And uh, one of the most recent developments that we've seen with skimmers is we've noticed that some of these um, skimmers have actual, um, well, these individuals have installed cameras also above the pump, above the, uh, the pin pad of the pump or above a ATM pin pad so that it not only records your credit card number, but it also records the strokes that you, um, well, your keypad strokes and will know what your zip code is or what your pin is. So even with that, when you're entering your pin, we kind of recommend that you put one hand over the pin pad just in case there is a camera out there that's recording what you're uh, pressing. Now, is this primarily at gas stations, or are there other points of sale uh, where you see where you've heard this taking place, like at ATMs, at banks, or other merchants? Now, when it comes to the skimmer devices, um, we're primarily involved with the ones at the pumps. Um, from my knowledge, we encounter well, we hear more about them at gas station pumps than at ATMs. But as a consumer, it's important to keep in mind that. A skimmer device doesn't necessarily have to be installed on a machine like an ATM or a pump. Um, even if you go to a restaurant, once you give the, the waitress or the waiter your, your card and they go to the back, they can swipe that card through the restaurant machine, but they can also have their own personal skimmer and run that card through it. I really recommend when you go out and make a purchase, if you have a debit card or a credit card, if you have both, I always recommend to pay with credit because in this case, you know, whether it's credit or debit, you can dispute both those charges. But if you are using a debit card, that money is coming directly from your bank account. And if you have bills to pay in the meantime, you can be in a real tight financial bind. Um, so that's why I always say if you have the option, pay with credit because, you know, with skimmer devices, we find these all over the place. Are there any other uh, precautions you might take? Like, say, for example... There's a variety of 
different types of gas stations out there. You might have a real small mom and pop shop that has two pumps, and you might have some of these mega ones that have like you know, fifteen or twenty different lines. Uh, does it make a difference where what pump you use? Are you safer, perhaps, uh, being ones that are closer to the door or ones that are further out? Uh, any other safeguards you can have, especially if there is a camera out there that might also be, you know, recording your the um, the pin number that you're, you're you're inserting. Any other safeguards? From our experience, we tend to find skimmers farthest away from the main door. So if you're going to a gas station that might have 10 pumps, you want to use the pumps that are closest to the main door. Those tend to be uh, less susceptible to skimmers because they're obviously closest to the main door. So the gas station attendant is more likely to notice someone installing a skimmer device. Also, there are some gas stations that are 24 hours. So they're always you know, open, always lit. And those tend to be safer because you might have a gas station that will be closed, let's say at three or four in the morning, it's completely dark. Someone can come in, install a skimmer, go away, and no one has any proof or evidence of when that happened. And when it comes to, to cameras, it does provide a sense of security, but we have encountered situations where the individual can see where the camera is placed, and they can pull up a big truck and position it in such a way that it blocks the view of three or four pumps. They can install a skimmer, drive away, and at that point the camera has no proof of when and who installed those uh, skimmer devices. Another option that you can have is, you know, if you go into the actual gas station and pay inside and then, you know, go out and pump, that's also another safety precaution that you can take to protect yourself. That's a major issue that we're all facing uh, in this nation, and I'm sure all over the world, the, the whole skimming thing where, just as you've already outlined, you give somebody a credit card, now that information is gone. Are there any other like major scams that are hitting our state on a regular basis? In addition to the um, skimmers that I just mentioned, another big one that we encounter, we call it um, sometimes the IT scam or the Microsoft scam. And with this one, you receive a phone call from someone claiming to be from Microsoft, Google, or Norton Antivirus. They say that they've detected a virus on your computer that's also affecting nearby computers. And they say in order to remove this virus, there's a fee that you're going to have to pay, and you're also going to have to grant them access to your computer. Well, the thing with this scam is, once you grant them access into your computer, since there was no virus to begin with, at that point, they will install a virus in your computer. They'll hijack your personal information, and they may even threaten you, saying, you know, if you don't pay us more money, we're not going to release your computer. Um, and just to highlight how big of a problem it is, you know, I've done uh, various presentations where at the end, someone's come up to me and said, you know, I recently got a call about a virus on my computer, and I don't even own a computer. <laughs> you know, and it's one of those crazy things where most of us, you know, most consumers have a computer or have access to one. But the fact that, you know, people that don't have computers are getting these calls is just showing that they're just calling numbers at random. And the main thing with this is if you ever do get a call about a virus on your computer and they're asking for money, um, I would just hang up. That's a scam. Interesting. Alex, you mentioned a number of scams here. I'm wondering if you had any data or a feel for which kinds of specific demographics here, in, especially in the case of uh, Florida, uh, are people being targeted? I tend to think you hear about a lot of times the scammers are targeting specifically the seniors. Uh, could you 
confirm whether or not that's the case? And if so, why would seniors be more susceptible to being scammed, targeted and scammed versus any, anybody else? Yeah, especially for, for Florida, we do have uh, seniors being heavily targeted. And that in this case would be the um, largest demographic that is targeted by um, scammers, unfortunately. Uh, some of the reasons why they are targeted is, you know, seniors now tend to be more wealthy than previous generations. Uh, they have a large purchasing power. You know, they've had a lot of time to save up money. And for that reason, they get heavily targeted. Now, I will also say uh, for many seniors, you know, their generation was very trusting of individuals. So if someone came up to them and said, I'm a licensed insured contractor, um, they'd be more likely to believe it without questioning it and doing the research. Um, at the same time, one of the things that I often hear is whenever they do fall victim to a scam, many of them are embarrassed and, uh, you know, feel a bit embarrassed to share that with anybody else. So many times, instead of sharing information about scammers that are out there, um, they kind of keep that information inside. And I feel like down the road that, uh, that prevents us from being able to, to fully stop it and from fully spreading that knowledge and letting others know, hey, you know, this happened to me, watch out for it. And essentially, you know, spreading more awareness of consumer protection and how to protect yourself. But they, uh, seniors are very um, heavily targeted. And it's one of those things where um, we, well, my department especially, we're constantly out there going to senior centers, different uh, retirement communities to make them aware of what's out there, how they're being targeted, and different things that they can do to protect themselves you know, financially and also their personal information. Now, in your professional opinion, why do you think seniors are more often targeted and why are they considered more susceptible to being scammed? Um, they're more often targeted, like I said, because in this case, they're more, um, they're more trusting. So if they get a phone call, because sometimes we might experience a, um, a charity scam, let's say, where they call a senior and they say, um, you know, you pledged to donate $50 to our charity every year. You know, we didn't get your donation this year. Um, do you want to pay right now? And they may not remember that they pledged that, but because someone's being kind of adamant about it, they feel guilty. So they just pay that money thinking that, well, you know, maybe they, they forgot about it. Or um, another big one, we call it the grandparent scam. Uh, you'll have a senior that gets a phone call from someone pretending to be their grandchild. They've been arrested or they're in trouble, and they really, um, you know, need their help. So they ask their, their grandparents to send them money in order to, let's say, get them out of jail or get them out of a tough situation. And as a grandparent, you know, they're really generous. and They want to help their grandchild. At that point, they pay that money and they lose it. But the, the main point with this, like, like I said, it's, it's a very trusting generation. Um, because of the embarrassment when they do fall victims to a scam, they don't really share that information. So I feel that the people around them, let's say it's a, re a retirement community, that information is not really spreading like it should to prevent future scams. And for that reason, unfortunately, they're able to target other individuals that may have benefited from hearing from somebody else about their experience and how they fell victim to, let's say, an IT scam or a grandparent scam in this case. Alex, Andy and I are talk a lot, a lot about different classical uh, scams that we've come across, but we also like to be on the lookout for those really unique and creative scams that pop up uh, from time to time. Is there anything that you've come across uh, over the last several months that was like, wow, never heard of that one before? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, 
with with my job, I hear about all sorts of scams constantly, and it it never ends. Um, I actually did a presentation at this one uh, retirement community, and at the end of the presentation, this one gentleman came up to me, and he said, I recently got this letter in the mail, but I'm not really sure if it's legitimate or not. So he hands you this 15-page document, and let's say his name is John Smith. Well, the letter begins by saying, Dear John Smith, I've been watching you the past two weeks. I actually belong to a secret society group, and I've been entrusted to bring in two new members into our organization this year. Now, we are made up of some of the most wealthy and strong Americans out there, and one of the reasons why you may never heard of our secret society group is because that's how secret we are. Now, it goes on to say, after watching you these past two weeks, we've noticed that you have some of the most essential skills ambitions and qualities that are essential to our membership now if you tell anyone about this offer your candidacy will be terminated but if you pay us a fee and join our secret society group at that point we'll send you our book of secrets now in this book of secrets you will learn how to amass a large sum of wealth you will learn how to get any job that you want and it even goes to the point to say that you know you will learn how to get any woman that you want it's all listed in this book. You know, now I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, well, this is ridiculous. So I go back to the office. I look it up, and a lot of people had received the same letter in the mail. And the thing with my job is, you know, the moment I think I've heard of every single scam out there, something else pops up. And the reason why this story stands out so much to me is, out of all the scams that I've heard of, I had never heard of one that said, the reason why you never heard of us is because that's how secret we are. So if anything, you know, what that story tells you is that any kind of story or scenario that you can think of, someone else is probably trying it right now or has tried it before, and their main goal is always the same. They want your personal information, and they also want your money. So you always want to be on, on the lookout for that because there's just so many different scenarios uh, out there in terms of uh, scams. That is uh, amazing. Uh, that Peter and I were talking a couple shows ago about the Vortex scam which is one of those that you can't prove, mm -hmm. you know, do you feel this? Do you feel this, the energy vortex? And of course you want to say yes, because you yeah. want to be that schmuck that doesn't, but it's the same <laughs> thing. We're the secret society. You haven't heard about us because we're that good. <laughs> you know? Exactly. That's like when, when the, the old, the old uh, story about the guy who gets arrested and he claims he's part of some, you know, secret uh, military organization. And, and the cop's like, well, which one? Well, they gives them something I've never heard of. Them. Of course you haven't heard of that. We're, we're secret. <laughs> you know, so, Man, that's that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Well, with everything that we've covered, including the super secret uh, society one, do you have any recommendations for our listeners concerning precautions they should be taking to avoid falling victim to some of these scams? Definitely. Uh, some of the things that I always stress, I always say never accept what someone tells you by face value alone. This goes back to the contractor scenario. You know, I could show up at your door with a tool belt saying I'm a licensed insured roofing contractor. But how do you know? You know, do your research. Like I said, look up the license. Look up to see if that organization is legitimate or not. At the same time, if uh, I would say when in doubt, check it out. If you're not sure, let's say if that charity is legitimate or the offer that you got in the mail is legitimate, do your research before you provide any personal information or any money. And then lastly, which, you know, many of us have heard this saying before, but I think it's, it's very true, especially, with, you know, now with the scams. Um, if the offer sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, it seems like a lot of common sense uh, advice 
Uh, to just and I love I like that little rhyme that when in doubt check it out. That's something people can easily remember. Definitely, Alex. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on the show and and providing some really useful information for our listeners. Uh, if our listeners who live in the state of Florida or who have family members living in Florida want to check out additional information that you have maybe online regarding different scams that are out there and different tips, how can they best, uh, how can they best reach you or what's the website uh, that they, they should, should direct themselves to? So in, in order to uh, pull up our website, it's going to be the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. And um, on the website, you want to enter www.fresh from florida.com and that's florida spelled out completely so www.freshfromflorida.com that's the best way to pull up our website and also um, resources in terms of the different scams that are out there and different steps that you can take to uh, better protect yourself awesome well thanks again for joining us and imparting your knowledge with our listeners and we look forward to you responding with your check so you can join our secret society here momentarily <laughs> as long as I get my book <laughs> <laughs> thanks Alex once again have a good day thank you goodbye and that website again is www.freshfromflorida.com and hey folks don't forget a very easy way that you can support what we're doing here at Metascam like having guests from the state of Florida on is simply visit our Amazon page if you go to metascam.com forward slash Amazon, that's going to take you straight on over to Amazon. Everything works 100% the same way. The only little bit of difference is we get a kickback for sending you there. We take those funds, we make them available directly to you guys with Amazon gift cards for our Scam Bounty program, and it helps us do little upgrades here around the studio. So remember that URL is metascam.com forward slash Amazon. Peter. You well, just received a phone call. I just received a phone call, and that person on the other line is going to tell you that your phone number has been found written on a piece of paper at a crime scene in Wisconsin. Oh, my goodness. Now, this is like, this breaks up my day. I was thinking about work, and all of a sudden, this phone call makes me think, what is this, and how much trouble am I in? Well, I can't tell you that right now because this is an ongoing investigation. However, uh, your number is been, has been put into evidence. And uh, detectives are investigating the crime scene now. And you should be getting another phone call from us within a couple of weeks. But we just want to make you aware uh, that you are currently being investigated in conjunction with this crime here in Wisconsin. Uh, but do you have my, you have my, my full name and my, my date of birth and all this? Yes, I have all that information. Well, where are you calling from? I'm calling uh, from Wisconsin, sir. Right now, I can't give you any more information. Just letting you know, making you aware that you are under investigation. And I am from Wisconsin, so this is, I'm getting really concerned. I was just there a, f a few months ago. Does that have, how long ago did this happen? Uh, sir, that is an ongoing investigation. I'm sorry you cannot comment more on it. Just uh, be aware that you, uh, you should be receiving a phone call within about two to three weeks. Okay, I'll sit tight and wait for that phone call, but man, I'm really worried. Is there anything more you can share with me now? Not at all. Okay, well, thanks so much for giving me the heads up on this. So now, two or three weeks pass by, you're going to get another phone call. From you? Uh, probably, or another person, probably another person, I would suspect. Uh, and they're going to say, uh, they're going to give you a call and say, hey, uh, letting you know that your number uh, was found at a crime scene. Uh, here a couple of weeks ago, you were contacted by uh, a police officer. Uh, I am the lead detective on this and letting you know that, uh, uh, well, uh, the the 
the uh, the matter has gone to court. I'm in trouble. Uh, I can't really talk more about it right now. I need you to either uh, come to Wisconsin, uh, the judge here. You can face the judge here um, to talk about the charges that have been uh, levied against you. Oh, man. Or we can just... Um, there's some court fees obviously associated with this. We can just wrap this up real quick. Uh, you can do a verbal uh, nulla contende, which it uh, does not admit any guilt. It's just a nulla contende, no contest. And uh, that fee here, let me see here on my computer, uh, $500. $500. Oh, man. And when do you have a a date more or less that this court yeah, it, yeah I'm sorry, I forgot to say that. Sir. That'd be Friday, this Friday. This Friday? This coming Friday, yes, sir. We move oh, very man, fast a- here in Wisconsin. It's Im- it's virtually impossible for me to get there, and I have no idea how much it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me a lot more than five hundred dollars to travel there. I still don't understand why. I mean, why am I being pulled into this? I, uh, you know, you all I know is that your number's found at the crime scene. Uh, any other information is going to be in the sealed court documents, which you can view if you uh, decide to come here to Wisconsin, and uh, you can see those in the judge's chamber. Okay, well, assuming I pay. I pay this. How would I make payment? Is this a wire transfer or a check or what? No, no. So I can take your credit card right here with the phone. Uh, I can transfer you over to the uh, quarter clerk's office, and uh, Margaret over there will be glad to take your credit card, and we can just uh, get this cleared up right away. She'll issue the another contingent plea for you, and you'll receive uh, all that in the in the mail here in a couple weeks. Assuming, okay, that I make this payment, and when this investigation is complete, and I am not at all found to be involved. Is there a refund of this money, or is this just an administrative fee that I have to These pay? are court costs are associated uh, with what has happened here. I'm, I can't really tell you more about it other than this, there's, uh, this $500 court fee has been imposed against you uh, in this investigation with your number being found at the crime scene, sir. Uh, what, credit co- uh, what credit cards do you accept? Uh, let me turn it over to uh, Margaret over there. She'll take care of that, uh, but she does take all forms of credit cards, sir. All right, I'm not very happy about this, but I can't. I just can't travel to Wisconsin this Friday. To, I, I understand, sir, and I know how you just want to get this cleared up, have this off your conscience, and uh, just move on with your life. I totally understand that. One moment, I'll transfer you right over there. Okay, thank you. Bam, $500. This is happening every day where people are calling up and they're saying 100% the same thing, that your number's been found on a crime scene. They won't give you any information about it because they say they can't because it's an ongoing investigation. And then when they call you back and you ask for more information, well, now they can't because it's a sealed matter and you have to go to the, the courthouse, which is always way far away from you. And it's always, there's literally no way to get there in the time frame they set up. So now you're stuck. What are you going to do? Well, the first thing is, now I pulled a rabbit out. You said you just went to Wisconsin. I've forgotten about that. I just pulled that out as a state far away from Florida. But you could have found that out if you would have, uh, if you had my Followed name you, and, and looked at my social media, you could yeah, probably figure Facebook, that out. Yeah, Facebook, right? yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, reverse white papers give people's phone numbers very, very easily. It's not difficult to find someone someone's phone number uh, this day and age and who, who that a random number belongs to. So you were doing good. Ask as many possible questions as you can uh, to avoid this scam, folks. Ask to speak to supervisors, ask to speak uh, for, ask for names, ask for identification, ask for badge numbers, ask for uh, where, where they're calling from, police districts, their, uh, their offices, a number you can call them back on. By the way, if you ask them to call, you, you know, give me a number I can call you back on, they're going to tell you that their phone system does not support direct inward dialing, so there's no way you can reach them directly. They can only make outbound phone calls. Yeah, one of the first things I would probably do is get as much information as possible 
And then I would turn around and I would make a phone call to my attorney and say, listen, this is what's happened. Is this, can this happen? Is this, is this legitimate or not? And then probably seek that individual's guidance, even though a consulting with your attorney might, might cost you a little bit of money, depends on your relationship with the attorney. That's a lot better than going ahead and not only giving these people $500, but now you've given them your credit card number and who knows what else they might be doing with that. Right. You can also ask for legal documents to be sent to you in certified mail. And one of the things that I have to stress on this is they always put this, the sense of pressure with time on there. That's always a big thing. We just heard Alex talk about that with uh, some of the scams where you only have a certain amount of time to do something. In the United States of America, we enjoy the privilege of due process, which means they can't force something on us that fast unless they want to cover our travel expenses. You know, if, if their state attorney wants to pay for us to come out there, if they want us out there that bad to pay that $500 fine. Uh, so there's other ways around this, but the problem is you start thinking, oh my goodness, why is my number at a crime scene? Why can't they tell me? And they've got answers for everything. And you just think, I just want this to go away. I don't know what it is. It's 500 bucks. If I have to go to Wisconsin, that's going to cost me three times that to get out there and back. I might as well just pay this. Just like think about a real legitimate uh, situation, scenario, where you've all of a sudden got a, a traffic citation. And you know you were there at that time, but you really believe that this is unfair and that you could fight it. Sometimes it's just more convenient, less of a hassle to go ahead and pay that fine than it is to get off of work, maybe even hire an attorney and go down there making your point. You still don't have any guarantee that you're going to be able to get out of that particular uh, citation, uh, even though you believe uh, I am in the right. And so a lot of people will end up paying, even if they think it's unfair, pay the money. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be able, you're going to be able to get through the situation a lot quicker and be able to be able to put it behind them, even though they think it's unfair. So on this one, folks, just remember, ask a bunch of questions, ask for legal documents, ask for the amount of time you want, tell them you need to consult with your attorney. By doing that, they're going to throw up roadblocks by just insist you need to have your attorney talk to them. And basically, once you say, hey, I'm going to be uh, represented by counsel, they will no longer be able to talk to you directly. So that kind of makes that scam go away. I was going to ask for a discount. Would you have been able to give me a offer me a discount? Probably, yeah. If I pay within like five minutes? Yeah, if you pay right now, I could probably knock off about 100 bucks on that. Four hundred. Right. Yeah, do $400. You should have asked me. That would have been great, yeah. Or maybe the other way around. You pay. If you pay now, it's 500 If you pay uh, tomorrow. In person, it's, yeah. It's going to be 700 whatever. plus, yeah. They'll always use these uh, pressure techni techniques. Tactics, yeah. sorry. Yeah, if you come in, yeah, the, if you show up in Wisconsin, it's at least $800. So you might as well just take care of this now. But since I'm from the great state of Wisconsin, I think even though, uh, in addition to going there and taking care of this matter, it's, it's a great place to travel to. And it's definitely worth your your time and money to visit the state and and take advantage of that Andy, I've if you haven't not been, there. been i need to go i really do I haven't been there yet i should go see if i have any court cases pending for me <laughs> probably do have some now peter as my career has evolved i've gotten many many job offers some really really good ones and some not so good ones and along the peppered along the way, I've seen some that have been really, really good. And when I see those ones that are really, really good, I always think to myself, those are either too good to be true, something's wrong with them, this is a scam. 
and I tend to discount them. Now, one time, about six years ago now, I had an opportunity be presented to me. I felt that this was not a legitimate, real opportunity, and I discarded it. I paid no attention to it. Come to find out, not only was it a real opportunity, but once they passed on me, they went to somebody that I know who accepted the position, and he is still there today. It is a fantastic job. <laughs> missed that chance. And I missed that chance because that did not look real to me when I saw it. Now, if I receive something now that I think is a fantastic job opportunity, and I don't have the time or the, or, or the gumption to go figure this out, could I come to Strategic Risk Management and have you guys kind of evaluate not only that job opportunity, but the company that is offering me that job opportunity? Well, I think a good question. We can always, for any of our clients who wish to take a closer look at a company, do an evaluation of that company, whether it's for someone who is looking to take on a new job with that company. And that could be actually, for that individual, a significant decision because maybe they're already gainfully employed with a company on a good career track, making decent money, and all of a sudden they're enticed by what looks to be like, wow, this is a step up, step up in position and a really good salary. Uh, but if it doesn't pan out, it, that could be a significant hit for an individual. Same reason for a client who might be a company looking to hire us to do some background checks on individuals that work for that company and or due diligence on that company because maybe they're looking to potentially go into business with that, with that company, contract that company to conduct a particular service in, in, in what could be a real major contract. And this contract in that company only is part of it. But if that goes bad, that could have big ramifications for the client. So they want to look at what's the track record, the reliability of this company in conducting projects. They might be looking at uh, providing financing, perhaps lending money to this company. They might be looking at going into a joint venture. They might be uh, looking at acquiring the company. Okay, so we can look at all these different reasons why a client might be interested in digging up as much information uh, both positive as well as derogatory on, on a company. So. We do these sort of deep dive investigations all of the time where we're able to go out at, I mean, there's some information that's publicly available, but we also have access to proprietary databases where we're able to access information that's not readily available uh, from the general public. And that would include looking at the specific finances of a company, their, their, whether or not they have any liens, whether or not they have any judgments against them, What's their track record in, in in making their payments to to banks that they owe money to? What's their track record in delivering products and services to to their customers? We can take a look also in these type of things. We always look at who are the principals of this company because typically, if a company is is not really reputable or has some serious integrity problems, usually that's going to come down from some, one or more of the principals. So if we find a company, maybe we can't find a lot about them, but we find out that one of the principals really has a serious reputational uh, 
serious reputation, whether it's in their personal life or their business, perhaps they even have a criminal record. Uh, These are the type of things that we would dig up on, if they exist, we would dig up on a company and our clients find useful. So getting back to your question, Andy, if there was an interest in seeing what is the reputation of this company, at a very minimum, uh, I mean, we could say that we everything looks good we haven't this we haven't discovered anything that's truly derogatory or we've we've encountered some things that are appear to be some data points that that a company you know you might want to reconsider whether or not you want to take on a position with them once again i need to caveat the fact that we don't uncover a piece of derogatory information doesn't mean that it's not out there somewhere all right we do a, a real good job for our clients and being able to surface most of the derogatory information that's out there as well as the uh, information that might be might paint them as being a very reputable company. So these are issues that we can definitely uh, address and we do that every day for our clients. Yeah, in my opinion, it's just it's better to have as much information as possible to make the best decision you can possibly make. And strategic risk management assures that you can do that. So if this is a service that might be of interest to all of you, you can get a hold of Peter. It's over at Strategic Risk Management. You can give him a call at 407-475-0154. Now, I wanted to go down real quick on a list of some identifiers, six of them here, of uh, ways to spot a scammer. So if you're dealing with an email or someone in a piece of writing, uh, literature, a card, a piece of something you get in the mail. I saw one the other day that uh, was it was a scratch off card uh, that told someone they won second place and it was one hundred ninety thousand dollars. And all they had to do was go visit this one website, and when they visited that website, it was in fact tried to infect their PC with malware. But when you looked at that scratch off card, it hit some of the stuff we're about to talk about, and and I'll let you know which ones it hit as we go down here. Mm-hmm. It's going to hit the very first one. As a matter of fact, the very first clue you're going to get is they use weird or odd or not proper language. Well, you have to remember that a lot of these scams are coming from overseas, from people who maybe English is not their first language. And even if it's their first language and it's coming from a, another country, their use of English, the terms, the, the, the terms that they're using, the slang that they're using might be a bit different than what we're used to here in America. So these type of things are definitely good indicators, especially if you get into a, let's see, it's not, maybe the initial, the initial uh, email that's sent to you, it's a script and it's probably been written and it's been proofed and maybe it's been more or less tailored to be uh, pretty accurate and pretty well written, but then any additional correspondence, if, especially if you take them off of script, that is when you really see some of the errors and the uses of, of language because they don't necessarily have a, one of those, you know, okay, this email addresses this issue and let's uh, send it to them. They might have to come up with something on the spot that doesn't quite fit to the question you're asking. Right, and that's one of the other highlights here is that they usually uh, stick to a script. And if you can get them off that script, then that's going to reflect back on their language. The language isn't going to be exact. They're either using Google Translate or Babelfish or one of these other online translators, and those just aren't perfect. What they do sometimes, I've seen, if I come back with questions, they just send me the same original script over again and, <laughs> and, and, and put it in bolder, bolder print. Like, maybe you didn't read it. <laughs> They also tend to overcomplicate things. 
And the reason they overcomplicate things is because you, or people as human beings, we don't like to be wrong. We don't like to be confused. So when something is overcomplicated and we're, we're so busy thinking about why is this overcomplicated, we're trying to figure out what's going on, we have a tendency to let our guards down about other things and we're a little more susceptible to persuasion. This is a very common tactic that is used in persuasive uh, arguments or persuasive text writing or anything as copywriting rather, or when you're from a stage trying to sell something in the back of the audience and you're using all of these tactics, throwing a bunch of numbers and getting everybody confused, but then it looks like a great deal and your confused mind just goes, yes, I need to go do this. Like those overpay, sometimes those overpayment scams are just like really convoluted. Yeah, where they tell you, yeah, you've got a golf cart for sale, and I see you want three hundred for it. Uh, look, I accidentally rolled out the, the the money order for five. Do me a favor, just cash it and send me back to two hundred. Well, normally that legitimate transaction, usually they reverse the original transaction and they have you do a brand new one versus sure. trying to do one for the difference. Yeah, but see, now you're gonna follow my other thing is I I would do that, but I can't because I'm taking care of my elderly mom and I can't really leave the house more than like once a day. And I really, really want that golf cart because it would help me get my groceries back and forth to the house for my sick elderly mom. Poor mom. Poor yeah, mom. Yeah, I, I can be sympathetic. <laughs> we all have mothers, right? And we all can put ourselves in those shoes. Yeah, so they always have some kind of heart throb or heart, heart string grabbing story, one of those sympathetic stories. They've all got one, and they're all worse than the next one. Now, if you start asking questions and ask specific questions, their information will more than likely change. So the answers they give you won't be the same. Usually because they're not prepared to answer or it's not the same person answering because it's not the same person, you know, at the other end of the computer when they're getting that email back and their correspondence is going through whoever is sitting at that desk at that time. So the information gets all out of whack. What they told you is now not the same. It, it, what was red is now blue. What is What was three is now five. Well, another reason might be if people are lying, if they're telling you a lie, which this would be in this case, a lot of times, unless it's a strict script that they're following and reading from day to day, they will forget exactly what they told you a day ago or a week ago. And so they will, the information will change because they don't remember exactly the details that they told you. Yeah. And scrolling up to that previous email is very difficult for them. Actually, it probably is because of the amount of emails that they've sent out. <laughs> That's probably a reason why you should take down as, if you get a call, especially a telephone call, jot down as much details about the information they're providing you as you can to include. Ask for a name, you know, write down the number, write down the time of day that they called you and, and the details of what they told you. Because sometimes also for us, it's uh, going a week from now and all of a sudden being engaged with uh, part two of uh, the scam we might not remember all the details and these people are fast talking very smooth and you might think well maybe i got it wrong right but if you write down these details it will help you also remember exactly what was said or done now if you're not a fan of writing down there are a lot of applications that allow you to record a phone conversation you're not going to be able to use that in legal uh, legal court because you're having gotten their express permission to record them if they're on the phone uh, but I can tell you that any phone call that comes into my business line is recorded for, for quality assurance purposes. For quali we get those every day for quality control. <laughs> yeah, and but training. What's the, training. What's the problem? If I, in fact, are calling you for legitimate reasons, if you were to tell me, you know, this, are you okay with this phone call being recorded? If uh, I'm legitimate, 
I really shouldn't have a problem with that. If I don't want you to record that call, or if I don't authorize you to record this call, there's probably a reason for that. And then maybe you really don't want to deal with me because what am I hiding? What am I concerned about, right? Right. And that, that recorded phone call, it protects both of us. I've been on both sides of it where I'm dealing with a customer and they said, hey, we said this date. And I'm like, no, no, no. Here, let me play the audio back is here's the date you said. And I was right. Here's the date you said. But I've been on the other side of the spectrum where I have been in error. And when I played the recording back, there was me saying, yes, I'll have this to you by Friday. And I'm like, ah, gee whiz. I said it was Friday. You're absolutely right. So now you're entitled to the uh, the late bounty that we had set up for, for our uh, deliverables, deliverables being late. So when you tell somebody, hey, we're recording this to protect both of us, I'm not going to hold it against you. This is just a protection type thing. That, that way we know what has been said on this phone conversation, then everything's fine. So last flag that you're going to get is they are impatient. They want to make that transaction happen as soon as possible. And that there's a couple of reasons. We've highlighted a couple of these uh, today and in uh, previous shows. But the number one reason is they don't want you to think about it too much. Because the more you think, the more you're going to smell a rat. And that's just going to cause you to not follow through the transaction and, and you realize there's a scam, you're going to shut the whole thing down. So as soon as they can get that transaction done, it's done. Now, the other reason is a lot of people who are impatient just want to get something over with. And if I'm continuing to harass somebody, they're just like, look, what what do you want? How much? It's like the, the kids who come to your door with the magazines, which most are legit, granted, but I have dealt with some that have been uh, not legit. I had a guy come to my door years ago who was trying to sell a, a clean cleaning material, some kind of cleaning solution. And he actually poured some on my on my front porch and clean like a spot. I'm like, well, now you're cleaning the whole porch or I'm calling the cops. But and that was that was completely a scam type thing. Oh, and I talked to your neighbors and they're going to get it. Great. Let me go talk to them. No, there's no need to do that. But they want that decision to happen right then and there. And they want they, they just want you to, you know, I want this guy off my porch. How much do I need to pay you to leave? 20 bucks here. <laughs> you know, give me the stuff, not leave. So I don't know why, but that, that story just reminded me of something that's just totally way out there. But uh, it's another type of uh, scam where uh, this happens in uh, places like oh, overseas, like a place in Rio de Janeiro or Sao Paulo, where I, which I'm very familiar with. Where you can be walking and maybe you're you know you're dressed up in business attire you're going to be going to a meeting and all of a sudden someone stops you and say hey, you know and, and you sir your shoes are all dirty and you left the house they were they were real clean and shiny you're looking down on them and they're dirty and, and they're really messed up and maybe there's some you know some 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 material looks like they're staining them and they're dirty you got to get it clean and this person is offering you a chance to uh to uh, it's a shoe shine boy right Sure. Clean them up for you. Yeah. What you don't know is that he had a partner there that was just like, hey, maybe you were distracted, and then someone else threw some of this, um, this uh, not paint, but some material that that all of a sudden got them all scuffed up and dirty. Yeah. So a way for them to stop you and uh, clean your shoes. A small example. It's probably only going to cost you a few bucks to, to shine your shoes, but they're scammers at all levels. Whether we're talking about several hundred thousand dollars or a five dollar shoe shine. They're everywhere. They are, which is great for our show, but bad for everybody else. <laughs> so, folks, just remember those six signs of a scammer, the odd language, they're complicating things, they have a sympathetic story, the information is going to change, they like to stick to their script, 
and they're very impatient. I want to go back to one thing here, Andy. I just got a text message from Alex. Remember we, who we interviewed earlier in the show? Yeah. He said he forgot one thing that he really wanted our listeners to be aware of, and that was when he talked about the charity scams. And he said, one way for the public to look into whether or not a charity is legitimate or not, there's actually uh, at least two different locations where you can go. One is uh, called the GuideStar. I think another one is called uh, Charity Navigator. And you can actually go to those sites and they will provide you information on legitimate charities as well as uh, even though it might be a legitimate charity that you can you can learn more about that charity and what percentage of that charity, of the funding that that charity receives does it actually go out to the benefactors of that charity versus going to other administrative fees, salaries, marketing, et cetera. So those are two really good uh, resources to investigate uh, any type of charity that you might want to look more into. And those are those are national. That's uh, GuideStar and Charity Navigator. Yes. And uh, just so, yeah, anybody comes up the doorstep claiming that they are a, a charity, representing a charity and, and looking for donation, ask them for their information, tell them you did a little bit of background research, and then make that donation, if you so feel, on your own time. Wow, Peter, it has been another fantastic episode here. I believe we actually got to talk to someone from the state of Florida. I mean, well, I mean, we're both from the state of Florida, but I mean, an actual representative from the state of Florida. I like this music we have here. I feel like it's time for a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, do remember, we always have our, our, our scam bounty going on. That'll get you a $20 Amazon gift card. We've awarded one so far. If you want to contribute to that, that is hello at metascam.com. Send your scams in there. We will evaluate those. Once we have three or four, put them up against each other. We'll see what we get from there. And remember, you are not alone. Do your best to educate yourself against possible scams. Talk to your friends and neighbors about them. Because together, we can make a difference. If there is anything we can do for you... Please don't hesitate to reach out. Until next time, this has been Andy. And this is Peter for Metascam.com. Want to get in touch? Follow us on Twitter at Metascam Show or email us at hello at Metascam.com. Visit www.metascam.com for show information, archives, and more.